When Anquan Bolden was a kid, he had ambitions, determination. Hey, good morning. Uh, glad you're here. I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy uh, hearing Anquan's uh, story. I love the way this guy plays football. He is not like a lot of wide receivers, catch the ball and they immediately head for the sideline. This guy is going to take a couple guys with him, and uh, that's just a blast to watch. And uh, even though he's going to Baltimore pretty soon, I'm going to try and root for him when he's not playing the Cardinals. Uh, so, but here's what I want to do. Let's, let's give a cornerstone welcome to Anquan as he comes out on stage. Okay, okay, so Anquan, if you would stand up. And I mean, it's pretty obvious you got the whole V thing going pretty cut. <laughs> what, what most people don't realize is, is that I'm pretty cut underneath here too. So uh, I was thinking if you take off your shirt, I'd take off my shirt. Maybe not. Okay, all right. Uh, probably caused too many women to lust. <clears throat> and uh, all right. So for Anquan, not for me. All right, no, Aaron. <laughs> I think when we think NFL player Anquan, I think, I think we think that, that you guys have these like charm lives, that, that your entire life, everything is just kind of come in place, come up roses, and, and that you've never struggled with anything. So your childhood actually, man, a bunch of us I think could relate to. So tell us a little bit about growing up in, in your life as a young uh, boy. Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, I, you know, you said it, you know, people look at, you know, NFL players or you know, any professional athlete and think that, you know, the road has been easy. Um, but that can be far from the truth. I know it is for myself. Um, you know, I'm from a small town in Florida um, by the name of Pahokee. Okay, so say um, the name again. Pahokee. Pahokee. Pahokee, It's a good Florida. place to be from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a small town uh, right on Lake Okeechobee. Um, more of a poverty area, less fortunate area. Um, you know, it's built around agriculture. Uh, I mean, the only thing we do there is play football and chase rabbits. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely, uh, for me, you know, growing up was, was pretty difficult. You, you talked to me about, and you said, you know, we were poor, we just didn't know it because everybody else around us was poor uh, while we were growing up. And then uh, your parents split uh, when you were pretty young. Yeah, uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, seven years old. Um, so for me, that was, you know, tough. Um, you know, growing up, I only knew mom and dad in the household, and, you know, I remember, I remember as clear as day, you know, hmm. mom and dad sitting me and my siblings down and letting us know that, look, it's not, it's not working with, between mom and dad and we have to split up, um, but I don't think I understood at seven years old what a divorce meant, yeah. um, and for me, it meant I wasn't going to see my father. Um, my father would be in and out, um, and there was a lot of disappointments for me growing up, you know, with that, 
You know, there were times where my dad would say he, you know, he's coming to pick us up for the weekend and we're going to spend the weekend with them. And, you know, we're looking forward to it. And, you know, we're packed and ready to go and no dad. Mm. But I think my, my mom did a great job as far as, you know, not bad-mouthing my father. And mm. she always had the philosophy that, you know, you guys are figured out yourselves when you're, when you're older. And then you talked to me a little bit about it and said, you know, maybe, maybe one of the things that kind of helped you make it through that is you had an uncle uh, who kind of inserted himself into your life. Definitely. Um, you know, I had an uncle, my uncle Rob, uh, who's now my, my pastor and my mm. spiritual advisor. He stepped in and, and, and took on that role. Mm. I mean, he was definitely a, a piece for me that I needed, especially being a, a young man growing up. Um, father is not there. Um, like he should be, mm -hmm. he definitely, you know, fit in. Mm. Um, kind of took me under his wing and, and showed me what it was to, to be a man. Right. So I think, I think that's great for us to hear, first off, because we've got moms in the room who are trying to raise young boys to be men and, and knowing that you can land that, but that one of the things you look for is you look for exposure to the right kind of men. And I, I just think that being in church, I mean, what, what better place to have your young boy maybe see what a real father and a guy who's standing up for a guy, you know, what, what that looks like to model in a young boy's life, you know? Just seems like that's the right answer. I think so. For me, I was fortunate enough that he was in a church mm -hmm. and it was a, somebody that I looked up to. But I think a lot of times, um, especially in this day of age, you know, the father's absent from the home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're leaving younger kids or young males to fend for themselves or figure it out for themselves how to become a man, you know, how to take on that responsibility. Um, a lot of times when I go talk to group homes um, or at-risk kids, you know, it's always that common denominator of the father not being in the house. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that leads kids astray, not mm -hmm. having that mm -hmm. in place. So I, think that, I think that brings a challenge, too, for maybe for some of the guys in the room because, you know, let's just be honest, most guys don't sign up to work with kids. We don't sign up to work in the teenage group, and yet you're saying, man, if I hadn't had that male role model in my life, that, that would have been totally different for me. And maybe for guys to reconsider and say, you know what, that may be one of the most powerful places that I could serve and have an impact in some young guy's life is if I was in their Sunday school class, if I was in their youth group, showing them this is, this is what a guy who follows God looks like, that, that could change everything for a young boy. I think you'll definitely have an impact on, on a kid's life. Yeah. Um, because I think every, every kid looks for that father figure. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's not found in, in the homes. So, you know, kids go out and search for it in, in different gangs or, you know, different street elements. Yeah. Because, you know, all kids want to be accepted all kids look for that. And when it's not there in the home, they, they go elsewhere and, and okay. search for it. Okay, so let's, let's shift a little bit. You're growing up, and, it, and we've already said it's, it's, it's probably not the ideal, but one thing that's really, really clear, you've got a physical ability. I mean, you, you're able to play football uh, from a pretty early age. As a matter of fact, uh, you're in eighth grade, and you're playing high school football, right? Yeah. My eighth grade year, I was a uh, starting quarterback for our junior varsity team. Um, like now, the said, part of that was because your town had 12 people in it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, it was a small town, but, yeah. you know, where I'm from, you know, our 
we had junior high school. So our yeah. high school went from eighth through twelfth. So uh, you know, I, like I said, I played junior varsity my eighth grade year and my freshman year I was actually starting quarterback for the varsity. And you were telling me that there were several guys on that high school team who actually ended up going and playing substantial college ball and stuff afterwards. So it was a legitimate team. Definitely. Um, I mean, we, where I'm from is, is, is known for football tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have a, a host of, we have over, over 15 guys right now playing Division I mm -hmm. um, just from the last two years. Uh, you know, a guy that I played with in high school is in, in the NFL right now playing yeah. for Carolina. So, I mean, there's definitely a, a lot of talent in that area. You end up, you end up at high school. Uh, you've, you've, you guys almost win the state championship. You're one game short of doing that. And then you go to Florida State. And uh, you, you go to Florida State when Florida State is a dynasty. Uh, the year before you go, they were in the national championship game. Your freshman year, they win the national championship, right? Um, what's that like, going to a place like that and playing school, playing ball? For me, it was a dream, dream come true. Um, although it was a little, a little difficult, you know, growing up, I was a, a hurricane fan, um, you know, being an hour ah, away. Ah, so you went to the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, growing up, you know, like I said, I was a hurricane fan, but, you know, you get older and try to figure out situations for yourself. And I felt like, you know, Florida State was the best fit. Mm -hmm. um, so I go there. And like you said, the year before I got there, they played Tennessee in the national championship. My freshman year, we win the national championship against Virginia Tech. My sophomore year, you know, we played Oklahoma in the national championship, so we definitely had a, a, a great run. Yeah. So now here's what I think is interesting. You went to Florida State to be a quarterback, and you come out of Florida State a wide receiver. How does that happen? Well, when I was being recruited at Florida State to play quarterback, you know, it was around the time Chris Winkie had a neck injury. And, you know, I go on my visit, and I see, see him working out, and he can't throw a tennis ball, you know, 10 yards. So I'm like, okay, I got a chance to come in and compete right away and win the job. Uh, well, when I go back, you know, after I signed with Florida State and, you know, I finally get up there, I see the guy, he's healthy, throwing the ball 50 yards. I'm like, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I go in and I'm the third quarterback. You know, Winky's a junior. Uh, Marcus Outson was playing behind him. He was also a junior. Um, and I'm, you know, true freshman coming in, third quarterback. And third quarterback really don't get too many reps. Yeah. I mean, you get reps here and there, but I found myself watching practice. And that was something that I wasn't comfortable with, you know, throughout high school. That's all I knew was, you know, playing. And, you know, I played both ways. So I go to Coach Bowden probably, probably three days in, um, in the tour days, and I'm like, Coach, man, I got to play something else, man. I mean, I, I don't feel right just watching practice. So he was like, okay, um, if you're sure about it, you know, we'll move you. But he was like, you know, what position do you want to play? So I'm like, I played, you know, free safety in high school, so I'll, I'll go there. He looks at me, he's like, nah, you know, we got to see the ball in your hands. Hmm. So he was like, you can either go to receiver or you can go to running back. And I felt like running backs get hit too much, so <laughs> <laughs> I went to receiver. Go out there, Ricky, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I think, I think we, uh, we watch Bobby Bowden, coach of Florida State, you know, from a distance, and, and the guy seems to be, you know, a man of faith and, and all of that type of stuff. Is, is, is he a guy who's got a testimony and, and lives for God? Definitely. Um, with Coach Bowden, what you see is what you get. You know, he's, a, he's as genuine as they come. Um, you know, 
he's recruiting me. He walks in my house like he's been there a hundred times. Hmm. Just made himself comfortable, made everybody around him comfortable. But, you know, he's definitely a man of faith. Um, hmm. You know, he, he led our chapel services, you know, night before the games, hmm. um, every Friday night. Um, you know, so he was a, a living example of, you know, what he was preaching. Wow. So I, I, I just think everybody ought to stop and consider that moment. We're talking about a guy who's leading national championship football teams who I guarantee you has a hundred other things to do the night before the game, and instead he's in leading chapel services with his guys. I mean, that, that's a guy who's made a decision about his faith and who he is in Christ and what's important in his life. Pretty cool story. Definitely, and that's the way that he operated our team. You know, yeah. he always preached, you know, yeah. faith, family, then football, um, and football definitely was third on his list. Right. Okay, so you're, you, you play for Florida State. You've had a, you've had a great career there. Now it's time for the NFL draft, and you're sitting there on draft day, and I don't know if everybody remembers, but this is back a ways, and you get drafted by the then illustrious can't-win-a-game Cardinals. <laughs> so uh, what's that like on draft day? <laughs> well, it was, I mean, draft day was something I was looking forward to. I was definitely excited about the opportunity to play in the NFL. You know, my entire life, that's, you know, what I worked towards. So, you know, I remember draft day, me and my family gathered around because I have, at that time, I had three other cousins going into the draft the same year. So we all, you know, have a get together. We're sitting around and, you know, the second round comes up and I get a phone call and it's Coach McGinnis on the other end. He was like, you know, how would you like to become an Arizona Cardinal? And I'm like, man, I, I'll play for anybody, you know. I just anybody want Anybody being the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> He hangs up the phone and it comes across the screen, you know, with the 54 pick, you know, the Arizona Cardinals select, you know, wide receiver Anquan Bowden. My family goes crazy. I'm excited. And then I sit back and I'm like, Arizona? <laughs> like, <laughs> man. <laughs> okay, so you, you get here and Arizona at that point is kind of a bye week for all the other teams, but you, you end up winning rookie of the year. That year. Yeah, um, we were definitely struggling that year. I don't think we had the talent um, like we've had in, the, in recent years. Um, but I think the coaches that I had that year, they really made my transition to the NFL real easy. Hmm. Um, you know, Dave McGinnis, you know, a great head coach that I had my rookie year, um, a guy that I owe a lot to. You know, hmm. he's a guy that took a chance on me. Hmm. And, um, you know, I'm definitely grateful for that. Also, I had Jerry Sullivan, you know, my offensive coordinator, um, who worked with me extensively um, my rookie year. So those are, those are two guys that I give. Okay, so rookie of the year, your first year, do you, do you remember any of your stats? Uh, no, I had over 100 catches. Okay. Um, so I've got over. your stats right here. <laughs> um, 101 catches, uh, 1,377 yards as a rookie, uh, eight touchdowns, and you literally established the standard. You broke the records for all rookies when you won Rookie of the Year. So very cool, man. Just congratulations to you on that. Talk, talk to us about, because I, th I think we as Cardinal fans, as, as we watch the team, we, we kind of go, okay, when Wisenhunt got here, you know, that's, that's when the ship turned. And you and I were talking, and you were saying, hey, Lynn, I mean, Coach Wisenhunt was surely a big part of this and, and all that. But you actually said to me you thought that some of the things were coming together, some of the pieces were falling in place even before uh, Coach Wisenhunt got here. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, not to discredit anything that, you know, the current coaching staff has done because, 
I think they've done a great job. Um, I mean, it's evident in the last two last two years yeah. um, with the Super Bowl run and getting back to the playoffs this year. But, you know, I actually felt our locker room start to change, um, you know, a couple of years prior to that, probably two years uh, with the guys that Denny Green started to bring in, you know, the Kurt Warners, the Bertram Berries, you know, guys that really had an influence and a, had a pulse on the locker room. Um, although it didn't, you didn't see it manifest itself on the field with wins and losses. But I think the culture of the locker room started to change when we started to get guys in like that. Mm. I mean, I think, that's, I think that's kind of an important thing to do because, you know, I think so often we mark success by wins and losses on the field, and yet you're saying, no, no, you know what it really was? We started getting some guys with a true faith story in, true uh, desire to win, and those guys begin to change the character of the team, and then it showed up on the field a little bit later. Definitely. Um, as compared to, you know, my rookie year or, you know, my first couple of years, you know, guys really didn't, it wasn't that way. The rock locker room was completely different. You know, I can remember, you know, us coming back home after, after a loss and guys not really concerned about, you know, what had just happened. You know, only thing guys were concerned about were, you know, where are we going tonight? You know, what mm -hmm. are we going to do once we get off the plane? But, you know, when we started to get those guys in, the mindset changed. Guys started making sacrifices for the team. Um, guys started to put themselves second and start putting the team first. And, and that's when we really started to see a change. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about Kurt Warner, because I think we all see him get up on interviews and first thing out of his mouth is, I want to thank Jesus Christ and stuff. Is he for real? Kurt's definitely uh, for real. Um, he's definitely genuine. Um, and he, he's a man of faith. I mean, simple and plain. Um, you know, he's, he was great for us on the field. I mean, he was an extension of the coaches on the field, but I think he was even better in the locker room with the influence that he had on the guys. And, you know, that's something he never wavered from. Hmm. Okay, so I, I, I think all of us that were watching TV that day, uh, when you got injured, you know, you're, you're going out for a pass over the middle, you're, you're about to score in the end zone, and, I mean, just an unbelievably devastating. I mean, for me, I remember seeing Joe Theismann get hurt as a kid, and I mean, this was right there for me in seeing that moment. Matter of fact, we've got a clip of that moment going on. You can close your eyes. Um, <laughs> no, you told us it was okay to show it, right? Okay. Yeah. So uh, we're going to show you this moment, uh, Anquan uh, being injured in two years ago, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's that moment. Have a chance against the likes of Seattle. Well, it's a competitive conference, which is good. And kept, excuse me, a competitive division. But I'm more worried about the emotion state of this team right now, where they go forward in terms of what they've done in the past. Well, let's see if he was over and had possession. No, incomplete. Kerry Rhodes breaks it up, and Bolden shaken up on the play. That's not good. Well, you, you don't want to see this late. You don't ever see this, but late in the game, in this circumstances, this, this is a coach's worst nightmare right now. And Anquan told us yesterday that Kurt's so good about throwing the ball where he doesn't take these kind of shots, but this is hard to avoid here. Ooh, that's helmet to helmet by Eric Smith. That, he, that should have been flagged right there. Yeah, that, that's going to bring that's, about a fine, but, which obviously is secondary here because yeah. he paid a price. And that's exactly why the head-to-head, -head, not only for the receiver, but why the rules were in place. It was obvious. I mean, every, I think everybody saw it knew you were hurt at the time. You're... Guys on the field are running over, you know, immediately because you're hurt. You ended up, your face was broken up. How many plates? What? 
Six plates, 40 screws. Wow. So it's a little hard for you to get through the airport now. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, they're titanium, so I'm okay. Yeah. Here's the thing that I think in the story that is just remarkable. You're out two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're back playing again after two weeks. Yeah. Why, why does a guy who just got, it, got six plates, 40 screws in his, how does he end up on the field two weeks later? Uh, stupidity. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, had it been anybody else, I, I would say they, they were out of their mind. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, just sitting back now, thinking about, you know, getting back out there after that, you know, mm -hmm. it's the craziest thing I've probably ever done. So what, what motivated you to get back out there? What was that? Well, at that point, I was just caught up in the, in the middle of the season, um, knowing what we had in the locker room, um, feeling like we had a, a chance to make a run. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just, I need to get back on the field as soon as possible and, and help my team. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's what my mindset was at, at that point. Wow. Okay, so you may go down in history as the dumbest player ever in the NFL. <laughs> uh, but I got a feeling you go down with maybe the biggest heart of anybody because to get out after that after two weeks, that's just remarkable, dude. I, man, I honor you for that type of gumption to get out there and do that on the deal. Man, absolutely. That's, I don't, I don't want to, so I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I got to do spiritual stuff, and I don't want to over-spiritualize, but I, I wish Christians would get hit that hard in their walk and get back up on the field and go back for Jesus again that quickly. So pretty, pretty... Pretty outstanding on the deal. I, I think we watched this last year out there, and, and I, I don't know, it just felt like there were moments that the camera would pan, and there was, I mean, nobody was injured on the field, nothing was going on, and I'd see guys in prayer, and I'm like, that is, that's just different. Was, was I imagining that, or was there something pretty cool going on in the Cardinals this year? Uh, I think that's exactly what it was. Like I said, you, you saw our locker room start to change. Um, you know, there were times where we're on the sideline, defenses out on the field, offenses, you know, huddled around praying for the defense. Which, I mean, if, if anyone's played football, that's a pretty remarkable moment when the offense is praying for the defense, right? Because you hate those guys, right? <laughs> You've been in practice with them all week. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as a team, I think we grew spiritually. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first got to Arizona, we didn't have a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with getting that and, you know, getting the guys that we had, you know, it started to grow, and I mean, last year you can walk in on Wednesdays after practice, and you know we'll have about 20 guys in, in Bible study. So I definitely think you see, you started to see uh, the organization change. Hmm. Okay, so so let's let's go there for a little bit. Let's go to your kind of your faith experience, your faith walk. You already told us uh, you're a kid. You're seven years old. You end up you ended up asking Jesus to come into your heart. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I accepted Christ. You know. In sixth grade, um, you know, it was a New Year's Eve service, uh, so I, I accepted Christ pretty young, but, you know, I always grew up around the church, um, probably had more church than I would like, you know, my... Yeah, my, anybody relate <laughs> to that, more church than you'd like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my grandfather was a pastor, um, my grandma taught, you know, Sunday school, so, you know, we was always in church, or just choir rehearsal, Bible study, you know, just always around the church, um, mm -hmm. so... You know, like I said, I accepted Christ pretty early um, and, and walked pretty strong early on in, in, my, in my walk. Uh, you know, getting to high school was, was pretty much a leader on my campus. Um, you know, started prayer groups and, and over the years, you know, saw it grow hmm. to where, you know, my senior year, 
you know, we'd have prayer, prayer breakfast every Saturday after the games and, you know, started out small, but by my senior year, the, the entire team was there, hmm. as well as the coaches and, you know, different community leaders. So, you know, we really started to see that grow. And then, you know, for me, I went to college. Yeah. And you know, I think I think this is an interesting part of your story, Anquan, because you started out strong in your walk. You, you were a you were a testimony on your high school campus, and then came college with all the temptation that goes along with that. You get out from under mom, and she's not there to watch over you. There's there's all the allure of being a star athlete at a major university, and and you started making not the greatest decisions. Definitely, I mean. You know, going to college, you're, you're from under that covering. Um, you, you no longer have your parents there to tell you, you know, yes and no. Um, nobody's there to tell you when to go to class, uh, to go to study hall, or, you know, you need to be in bed by this time. So you're pretty much out on your own, um, left to fend for yourself. And, you know, when I first got to college, I didn't make the best decisions. Um, you know, I was out, you know, doing my own thing, you know, go to the club. And, but I always found myself in church on Sundays. Um, and that went throughout college and, you know, even when I got into the NFL, it was the same way, you know, kind of getting caught up in the temptations. And for me, you know, it was a, 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 just a cycle, mm. um, you know, coming to church on Sundays, hearing a word from God and feeling strong and empowered and feeling like you can take on the world. But once you get outside of the church walls, you know, you slowly feel yourself starting to get back to where you were. And by the mm. end of the week, you know, you're a disaster. Hmm. And then you go back to church Sunday again. So you're in church on Sunday confessing Saturday, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, or the entire week, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, you know, there's a pattern, you yeah. know, church Sunday, feeling strong and going through the week, getting weaker and weaker and find yourself back. In, and for me, I got tired of that, hmm. you know, just that pattern. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's good for us to hear because I know there are some of us sitting in this room who'd say, I'm in Florida State right now. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing my church thing on Sunday, but you couldn't tell it the rest of the week. I mean, if you went to my coworkers, if you went to my friends at school, they, they wouldn't know that I'm a believer or a Christ follower because of the way I'm living. And then I come back to church on Sunday, and I probably feel a little bad, and I try to get, and then, man, I'm back living like everybody else the rest of the week. And, you know, to hear you say, you realize that living, that, that's just a disaster of a way to live. I think so. You know, I think, you know, all of us have a call on our lives, you know, and God wants us to, to live up to that, to that calling. Hmm. Um, you know, we all have a destiny placed on our lives, and, you know, a lot of us are missing the mark. I know I was, hmm. um, you know, but like I said, I got tired of that. Hmm. I got tired of feeling, feeling tired of who I, who I had become hmm. or the things that I was doing, because a lot of times I didn't want to do it, but, hmm. you know, I wasn't strong enough in my walk. Hmm. Um, to, to turn away from it or, or to say no. Yeah. So, you know, my flesh was continually giving in. And it wasn't until, you know, I honestly sat down and, and developed a, a real relationship with God hmm. that I was able to, to overcome that cycle. Right. So help, help us out, Anquan. What, because I love the way you say that. I, I just got tired of it. I just got, I just got done, you know, with that part of my life. Help some of us maybe that are caught in that part of our life. What, what does it mean to get tired of it? Well, I mean, for me, like I said, I, I just didn't like where I was in my life. I knew that, you know, there was more for me. Um, and like I said, the only way that I can overcome that was to develop a relationship with God. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 
it's not enough just to go to church on Sundays. I know a lot of times, you know, I, I used to feel this way as well. You know, you go to church and, you know, like you've done God a favor. Mm-hmm. I mean, God don't care if you go to church on Sunday like that, you know. Yeah. But it's actually the relationship that he wants to have with you. And like I said, it wasn't until I started, you know, praying on a constant basis or, you know, reading my Bible, trying to, you know, get to know his word and apply it to my life that mm. I really started to change. Mm. So, Anquan, I, I, I guarantee you there are some people in this room today who are going, you know what, if I could just, if I could just have a little bit of what Anquan has, I'd be happy. I mean, if, if I could have a little bit of Anquan's fame, if, if I could have a little bit of his physical ability, if, if I could make some of the, you know, just even some of the money that Anquan's made, if I could even accomplish some of the things that Anquan's accomplished, I'd be pretty happy. I mean, that would do it for me. And yet, you're here today with all those things in your life, all the money, all the accomplishment, all the success. Truth is, you've gone out and even done some of the stuff in the world, and in the midst of that, you're saying, somewhere you're going to figure out you need Jesus. Definitely. So, so, so help those in the room who are still trying to figure that out. Why, why does someone with everything you've got, all the fame, all the money, all the, why does someone like you still need God in their lives? Well, for me, you know, growing up, I felt the same way. You know, if I can just obtain money, um, you know, it will make everything okay. Or, you know, if I can accomplish these goals in life, you know, I'll, I'll be fine, but, you know, in actuality, that's, that's, not, that's not true um, because you can find some of the richest people in the world will be some of the most miserable people in mm-hmm. the world. I mean, money doesn't, doesn't fill a void. Um, fame doesn't fill a void. Um, getting a promotion on a job doesn't fill a void. And I think, you know, us as people, we all have a void. Um, and a lot of times we do different things um, to try to fill that void. And for me, I, I came to the realization that, you know, that void wasn't going to be filled until I completely gave myself over to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, like you said, I've done it all. I mean, as far as, you know, accomplishing everything that I wanted to, you know, all of my dreams and aspirations. But even after getting to the top, there was still that void there. Mm-hmm. Man, thank you. Th- thank you for sharing that. Thanks for opening your heart up and let us know that. And I just want to speak blessing to you. It's going to be a little hard to root for you uh, in Baltimore, <laughs> but as long as you're not playing the Cardinals, I'll, I'll, I'll up it for you. But man, it's God's blessing to you. Yeah. Here's, here's my hope for you, Anne. My hope for you is, is that what God has been doing in your life and been doing here. Maybe, maybe the reason you're going to Baltimore is to take a little of that to them. And maybe they would see Jesus Christ all over you. And that maybe some of the revival that's happened on our cardinal would happen in Baltimore. God, could I pray for you real quick and Definitely. just ask that your testimony be strong and you'd be brave. Could sure. I do that? All right. Let's pray, man. Let's do that. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for my brother. Thank you for Anquan. Thank you for just the genuineness of his love for you and his walk with you. And God, I, I want to pray... Uh, easy, even as he goes to the other side of this country, that he would be a shining light, that as, as gifted as he is on the field, that his life would shine even brighter in the name of Jesus Christ to his teammates and to that entire community there in Baltimore, and that they, that they maybe would be deeply, deeply affected uh, by his life. God, I pray this for Anquan in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you.
Very cool. Go ahead and grab a seat. I thought he was going to trip there for a minute, and I was going to be in trouble at the NFL. But uh, I, as we've had this conversation uh, today, man, I, I, I just think there's two unbelievable lessons that you and I ought to walk out of this room with. And, and one of them is for those of us that would say today that we're Christ followers. But if we were honest, uh, we're enrolled at Florida State. See, uh, we're doing the church thing maybe on Sunday and the rest of the week. You wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know I'm a Christ follower. And you heard the words of Anne Klein. That's a disaster of a way to live. And, and I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask you if, if when, when are you going to be tired enough, when you're going to be weary enough to say, I, I just can't do this one foot serving God, one foot serving myself thing. And when are you going to be ready to be a seven day a week Christian? And some of us, I, I'm, I'm convinced, some of us are sitting in this room today because you and I need to hear that challenge and some of us need to answer that question. When am I in seven days a week for God? Some of us in this room just haven't figured out the God thing yet. We haven't, we haven't, it just hasn't made sense. And, and you heard Anne Kwan say, hey, when I was uh, just a kid, I, I asked Jesus Christ in my heart. I became a Christian. And that sounds like church talk, you know, when we say that. And I, I can help you there because it's really pretty simple. It's, it's simply a person coming to a point in their life when they say, look, uh, I need God in my life. I need God. A savior, and if I was going to be really honest, I've done stuff in my life. I, I've have done stuff that I wouldn't want my mom to see. I've done stuff I wouldn't want my coach to see. I've done stuff I wouldn't want my God to see. And I've pretty much figured out I'm not going to go to church enough. I'm not going to read my Bible enough. What I really need is someone to forgive me for the worst parts of my life. I need a savior. And it's as simple as a prayer. It's as simply as saying, hey, God, I know. I know. And would you forgive me? Would you be my Savior? And the cool part about that is, is it's as simple as a prayer. It's just finally saying, I know that I need God. And if, and if I get enough money, if I make enough accomplishment, if I make it to the next promotion at work, if I buy the bigger house... I know that I know that I know I'm still going to have that void in my life that Anquan talked about. And I need a real relationship with God. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to give us an opportunity to do that. Some of us in the room say, Lynn, I'm just not there. And that's okay. That's okay. There's no pressure. But it's possible there's some people in the room who go, I get it. I get it. No matter how popular I get, no matter how much money I met, no matter how many people I party with, I need a relationship with God and I'm ready for that. So let's just bow our heads. I'll lead you in a simple prayer, and if that's you, and if this is that moment for you, then you can just quietly pray at your seat. That prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, if, if I was being really honest today, 
I have. I've, I've been chasing all sorts of stuff. I was hoping maybe I would accomplish enough or make enough money in my life or maybe be famous enough or recognized enough that this ache that's in my heart wouldn't hurt quite so bad. And it just, it just made all the sense in the world a few moments ago when Anquan said, even if you get it, even if you get the new boat, even if you succeed in this life, you'll still ache for God. And God, to be honest, in my chasing after things, I, I've made horrible decisions. I've, I've done stuff in my life, God, that I know breaks your heart and stuff that would just absolutely be sin. And what I really need is for you to forgive me. For, for you to take that hole in my life and fill it up with you. And so I'm just going to ask right now, would you be my Savior? Would you come into my life? I'm done chasing the other stuff. I want to be a God chaser now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, I just, I just want to say, if, if you made that decision, if you prayed that prayer, God says everything is different. And, and, if, and if you would just consider this morning inside your program, uh, there's a card you can fill out. And on that card, you can just say, I, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior today. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trusting my wallet. I'm not chasing the next promotion. I found a Savior today. And just mark that card so that we can pray for you. It'll change your life. Hey, these guys are going to lead us in another song of worship. Thank you.